0: Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. The rise of the machines, what does it mean for us today and how will it change the way we live tomorrow? I'm joined here today by Johan Verhans to talk about these issues. Johan is a physician scientist an expert in applying artificial intelligence to improve health outcomes. Hi, Johan.
1: Hi, good afternoon. How are you doing? Uh, quite well, thank <laughs> you. Yeah,
0: good. I mean, we hear a lot uh, about terms like artificial intelligence, machine learning, the Internet of Things. Um, but what do they really mean? You know, we have many computers in our back pockets, smart homes, smart offices, and the rise of the digital era. This technology is already taking over our lives. Will it take over our jobs and our futures? It's a rhetorical question, I know, uh, but really, is technology our friend or our foe? Are are computers going to replace our jobs? I guess that's one of the big concerns uh, out there. What
1: do do you think, Johan? I think they're not going to replace uh, jobs. They're gonna replace some easy jobs that we can that we can f- find um, in our, um, it, that we don't like a lot. So the easy things that can be reproduced and automated. And usually the stuff that nobody really likes to do, so the boring computers jobs. can do. Okay. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we, heard, we hear quite a lot about, uh, you know, machine learning versus artificial intelligence. So I never really know the difference between those two. So what, what, what actually is machine learning?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's used interchangeably a lot and uh, I have to admit and I think artificial intelligence is the general and public term, overarching term of uh, if you consider it a sport where machine learning is a sub sport of artificial intelligence. Um, I think machine learning is in a simple way, it's trying to program computers to do stuff that are considered intelligent by humans. So that's really making them smarter. But it could be really simple things, but it could be and nowadays we're really getting towards human-like performance in different applications.
0: So when a computer can beat you at chess, that's uh, kind of one of the benchmarks of artificial intelligence.
1: That was one of the benchmarks <laughs> and it was a real excitement in the 80s that, that a computer could actually beat somebody at chess. But actually that was not the most complex problem because it's a limited amount of things you can do in chess, especially for a computer. And that caused a lot of excitement that actually backfired later because they wanted to apply the chess Uh, winning, beating everybody technology to everything. And that didn't work in the 80s. And I think now we're in a different era where we actually get useful things. And I think in our everybody's pocket, there's something that is using AI and is actually useful and making our lives easier. So,
0: I mean, I I hadn't come across the term machine learning even five years ago and you probably had but I hadn't and it suddenly exploded, it suddenly exploded along with artificial intelligence and the applications. Why, why has it exploded so much recently?
1: Yeah, it's it's a little bit what I said before. There was, there, there have been two winters in artificial intelligence. Two winters. Yeah, so they they call that (laughs) the winters because they were followed. uh, The winters followed the extemporary excitement of the idea idea of artificial intelligence solving every problem that we have, and that over promise actually led to to, uh, winters where investment and and attention suddenly decreased and. Fortunately, in the university, uh, we have been doing this for a long, long time, and uh, people who have been in these winters, and that has established a great track record here.
0: So they survived the winters, and now that we're into spring, are we,
1: uh, uh, or are we into summer now? I think we're getting, <laughs> I, I think we're getting towards summer, yeah. and we have to be aware that there might be some, uh, that there still could be a winter, like the internet hype, like, like every hype curve that there's a lot of books written around about it there is a there's a hype curve that's always followed by some disappointments uh, but also some real good products and i think internet is the good example that had initial hype and then had a lot of disappointment and uh, but then yeah it easily took off and is taking over our lives basically and yeah sometimes for the worse indeed internet yeah well, let's get on to that <laughs> in a minute.
0: <laughs> but um, obviously, you're um, you're not from Australia, and neither am I. I mean, we have uh, outrageous accents uh, between us. But um, why why are you here in Australia doing AI here? Why why aren't you somewhere else uh, in the world that's better uh, than than Australia?
1: Yes, it's um, it's like a lot of things. It's in life about coincidences, who you meet and who you. Don't meet, who you not meet. And um, I, I, I was actually starting a job as a cardiologist in Amsterdam when I was offered to come to Adelaide to a coincidence, to a scientific, uh, to one of the authors of an editorial about one of the articles here. He came from Adelaide and he was working here at the hospital and at Samri. And he asked me to come over to do a hybrid clin- clinician and scientist job. And I said, yes, provided you give me some Freedom to, to do uh, to to do what I want, and one is is really d- uh, developing imaging uh, and specific advanced imaging that we probably don't discuss today, uh, but uh, and more importantly, try to engage the really world-leading computer scientists in in Adelaide uh, to do apply artificial intelligence to biomedical problems, yeah. and that has that initial contact. Fast forward three years has has evolved in something that is way more substantial and exciting as, as shown by the Productivity Commission report of this week.
0: So um, so you have a good understanding of machine learning and artificial intelligence, but then you work, work together with real experts in those areas, combining your, your skills together. And so what, what what is the level of expertise like here in Adelaide?
1: Yeah, so the the expertise, so machine learning is everybody can do machine learning. We have doctors in Adelaide uh, really programming and and applying machine learning to medical problems. Um, But to really develop novel methods and to get into the leading journals there, for example, for image analysis, which is called computer vision, which is a sub-sport of machine learning again. Um, uh, it's so we're really into
0: five-a-side football, then are we? Y-
1: yeah, 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 so yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is one of the main. You know, if it would be the Olympics, it's one of the main events. Is image analysis because it is used in driverless cars. So this is cars. the hundred-meter
0: sprint, is it? Yeah, it's yeah, driverless okay. cars. It's
1: yeah. it's it's uh, uh, recognizing people um, uh, from cameras. It's it's safety. It's imaging, uh, but mining and agriculture, everything that needs eyes. And can be monitored can you know, can be helped by a uh, computer vision and these these um, developments in these automated uh, computer vision analysis methods they have been led by a lot of people throughout the world uh, but we are really spearheading we're number three in the world of high quality computer vision papers in the world which is quite amazing for a relatively little town called Adelaide uh, so the there's Carnegie Mellon uh, University in Pittsburgh and the Chinese Academy so if you would divide the amount of papers by the amount of faculty publishing this uh, we're probably uh, among the top ranks so uh, I think we're really delivering high quality with very um, with much, little, much less power than, for example, the Chinese Academy of Sciences.
0: Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And you know, that's powerful enough to uh, attract people from all over the world to come and study here. It's a nice place to live. It's one of the most livable cities in the world as well. So uh, you combine really good technology, really good job satisfaction together with a livable uh, place as well.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly not only the offer and, and you know, me being ambitious uh, uh in in my work does all also uh, if you have kids, you have to be ambitious in other parts of life and Adelaide can just provide that because you live close to work um, and uh, if you live close to work you 're not in traffic jams and you have nice weather. I think your quality of life outside your work is really really good it's not all about work, is it so
0: but let's let's get on to work a little bit so you're you're a cardiologist uh by by background so how do you find machine learning is actually applied then into the, the study of hearts and heart disease? How, how do you give me an example of how you actually use machine learning in that context? Let's get down to some specifics.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm a cardiologist with expertise in imaging uh, so I'm basically the radiologist in, uh, among the cardiologists and I, uh, I analyze these images um, of patients who have a certain problem in their pump function or in their valve function or uh, they have arrhythmias or scar in the heart and we can look at that for example with MRI and there's now programs that are supported with artificial intelligence to, to actually measure the function you have to draw contours when the heart is relaxed and when it's contracted so really Drawing circles has been part of uh, radiology for a long time. So in the good old days,
0: you just got a pen out uh, onto the x-ray and drew a circle, was that...? uh No, it was was a mouse and you
1: got actually, you know, you you drew circles with a mouse and and basically that cost you five minutes. um, uh, And that's now with one click of the button. So actually, that is artificial intelligence making silly stuff. Uh, easier and, and most of all it does the pre-work but you can still supervise it whether it did a good job because it do, it's still not perfect obviously so you still go through all the slices but it takes you a lot of you can actually put your attention to making it even better the measurement and make it more reproducible so that's a very concrete example uh, of, of how it's already in the clinic but there's not many concrete examples like this there's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of research, but we're just starting. We're just on the tip of touching the tip of the iceberg.
0: So below the water, there's all this research that's going on, looking at the different applications of machine learning, and then we're just starting to see the application of those just coming through at the moment. That's that's a nice analogy, actually. Yes. Yes. So I mean, and in the uh, in the medical area, so so what happens if uh, the computer makes an error? So uh, Who's uh, you know who's to blame? Is it uh, is it the programmer that uh, developed the algorithm, or is it the doctor that didn't check properly? So how, you know this this draws up kind of real ethical issues, I guess, with uh, the applications of machine learning into into this space.
1: Yeah. So fortunately, we live in in a world that is very well regulated, at least um, in, in in the Western world and. That sometimes you know makes it really hard to get something approved anyway. Um, so who's to blame? It's, <laughs> uh, it's you know if if something is really it, it, it's like with cars. If it's really well designed and the human makes the mistake, the human is to blame. If the like the airbags in cars, if the design of airbags was faulty, then the designer of the airbag uh, can be can be blamed. Uh, to have computers blamed directly, I think will be very hard because you know, um, I think in this law system is built not to sue computers. So I think there will always be a person or there will be nobody to who is to blame. Uh, but there's a large body of work that I'm not spearheading admittedly, but uh, that, that really looks at the ethics of this and how should we regulate this to make it safe and also keep a regular audit of the performance, like with anybody, uh, to see whether it's still performing well and not making gross mistakes.
0: Yeah. And as you said, in your area of work, you know you still provide the check uh, uh, against the, the algorithm that's applied by the machine learning. And if it's not quite right, you, you correct that. So then it's a self-learning system as well. Yes. So it learns from its mistakes because you Basically, gave it a tickle across <laughs> of whether it got the answer right or not. So, there are still all these checks and balances yep. of experienced doctors like yourself that are still within the system. So, we shouldn't worry that uh, the, the system is being completely taken over uh, by machines at the moment. We've still got people uh, with expertise like yourself that are still checking the system.
1: No, and it's not at smart yet. It's not learning from me yet. But, for example, uh, we have obviously the excitement of the, uh, the Bragg, Australian Braggs Institute next door and radiotherapists. That they draw their treatment area uh, for the radiation therapy uh, manually, and, and there's, you know, you have to know anatomy, but there's also a little bit of taste. Some people are a little bit more aggressive because they had a good experience. So there are now things being developed that actually um, uh, learn from the person, like you know, like speech recognition. Also, is another good example where they actually learn from the person drawing the contours, and and still the doctor making the final decision, obviously.
0: Mm. So where, where where does it end? I mean, uh, do we just uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence is, is here to stay? It's just going to increase the number of applications across, across areas. You talked about you know the across different platforms uh, as well. But uh, obviously from from your area, what, what other areas in, in medicine uh, is machine learning being being taken up in?
1: Yeah, so the main area for now is is um, is radiology. Um, so recognizing images is something machine learning has been really good at.
0: It's so that's that computer vision uh, side. Compu- so it, yeah, because it recognizes the image, and then you use the machine learning power to really crunch through that and interpret.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is that our eyes are I can see a lot, but they cannot see complex patterns. So the potential of AI finding something extra that is more diffuse and more subtle that we cannot see with one eye, but quantifiable by a computer is actually uh, much higher. So the potential of finding new early diagnostic biomarkers uh, to detect and diagnose disease is actually in image recognition uh, much better. Um, there's, there's a whole body work in, in um, natural language processing, which is another sport. Um, in in machine learning. (laughs) That's basically trying to understand um, natural language and making something useful out of it, including understanding it or making a conclusion and reasoning, which is more advanced bit that we work on here, for example. But there's also some easy things that if you doctors put in the emergency department a, a long piece of text, and if you want to quantify that, how many patients smoked who presented in the emergency department and what is really the profile, you want to be able to automatically extract that by a computer who doesn't care about um, uh, any personal records, but just to give you as a hospital also the information to, to improve your quality of care and to do research with it, because uh, these patients did worse, so maybe we should do something different. So understanding text and the massive amount of text we're now putting in the electronic medical records is really of, of a huge application.
0: So then you can just upload the text uh, without all of those identifiers and then use the machine learning to search through that. So how many patients presented with who smoked and had coronavirus? So you can, uh, you know, quite easily be able to collate all that massive
1: information then.
0: And, yes, and, what and about-
1: sometimes predict uh, problems. So for example, yeah. and I've seen papers in psychiatry where they just very simple, you don't need very sophisticated language processing, but just if people start writing more about the patient, that's a predictor for deterioration or destabilization so it's, it's really you have to start simple and that's yeah, probably okay. the phase we want to do everything most advanced but we're not there yet and uh, but um, yeah the, 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 all these fields are really developing rather quickly and then the field of omics which is yeah, an, a very general name for genomics and, and proteins how they are expressed in your blood because we measure nowadays a lot of things in our blood. Um, we can measure so many things and we're getting so much data from the blood that we don't know how to relate this to a patient's health outcome. And this is another area that could be combined with the images and with the poly- electronic patient record. And the genetic code will probably lead to the optimum, personalised uh, diagnosis and treatment advice in the future. But that's still far away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you, you know, you apply off for, for blood tests, uh, You used to get your stethoscope out, you go for some kind of imaging. I mean, machine learning allows you to combine all of those together with much more detailed interpretation and analysis back to the doctor then for a diagnosis and uh, to work with that. So it's really putting those skills back in to the hands of the doctors to make decisions. So at the end of the day, the machines aren't making decisions, are they? It's the provision of information yeah. for you to make better
1: decisions, and and also to make it simple for doctors because we don't like complex. We like a traffic light, so it's safe, <laughs> you know, red to keep or the patient, or amber if you need to do a green. bit more, yeah, and yeah. amber if we need to watch out or look at a little bit more. Um, but we're also entering an era where the the doctor needs to become an information specialist because we're getting we're getting all this evidence that these and these genes and these and these proteins relate to certain disease. And you have to really understand what that means for people and and to to really come up with an analysis and know everything about everything, that's probably impossible in the future. So you need to be able to find your way, like finding your way through the internet, you need to find your way in literature and you need help with that.
0: So it sounds like you've solved all the problems,
1: (laughs) but uh,
0: for for students uh, starting at the university, what could they hope to work on in the future that would be at the cutting edge of this field?
1: Yeah, I think if you come to Adelaide, you have potential just by knocking on my door or other people's door working on this to really engage and say, I want to do something simple. And that's actually happening. People just want to draw the circles to start with, but they have a hobby of programming. And and also programming is is becoming much easier now. You don't need really to write a lot of text. It's more like putting pieces of puzzles together. So the the future of programming is going to be much easier and much more accessible. And I think there's a lot of, in, in Adelaide already, a lot of students who have more hybrid expertise, have a hobby in healthcare and expertise in computer science and vice versa, who, who are uh, engaging in this field and that's, and that's really exciting. But uh, not only medicine is really interesting, I think um, mining in Australia in particular is something, there's so much data, uh, geographical data and geological data that you cannot analyse just with one peak somewhere in the stats that you need patterns to really predict. And recently we joined a competition without knowing anything about mining. Three months before we joined a global competition with thousands of participants and a million dollar prize money. And we came in second without knowing anything about mining. And I think it also (laughs) says how agnostic uh, AIs to the application um, so it, it really is you know if you can do that in three months that's really impressive so.
0: So with no knowledge you came in took part in an international uh, competition. Not me by the way. Yeah not you but uh, colleagues uh, and uh, actually came second in the prize and what what did they have to predict they
1: have to where to dig. Where
0: to dig? Yes. For gold? <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: so, so for, it was a specific goal. I, I don't yeah. even know the detail, but it was where to dig, which is really hugely important, obviously, yeah. to yeah. predict. And you know, water is usually important in mining. It's probably is a good challenge to, to find water and know where water is. So I think that's a beautiful example of how, um, if you're an expert, like here in Adelaide, in methods, Uh, And, and, you know, with the support of the government that we have established now, the Australian Institute for Machine Learning, I think we can create more of a national exposure and also show that, you know, it's not only Adelaide that we want to help companies, academics, but we can help anyone in the world. And COVID has enabled that remote connection. It, It disabled it, but then again enabled it because you're forced to doing video conferences. It's much easier to contact the world expert or mm. let him give a lecture mm. uh, without having to fly and we're used it. to it now aren't we we're used to that yes and do you,
0: i mean the interesting thing is as you're talking it's really uh, you know machine learning is obviously a hugely complex area it's quite a uh, a specialist area but it's also provided a platform for people from different disciplines to work together so it's, uh, uh, it's a platform you know Medical specialists can work with engineers, computer scientists, even geologists. And uh, uh, you're then sharing the same language and the same uh, uh, in, in this platform. Is that is And has that stimulated this kind of rapid growth uh, in the sector?
1: Yeah, so w- when I did uh, my, uh, my PhD and postdoc have been mainly in doing, working with engineers on biomedical applications. So really building fancy catheters or fancy molecules that detect disease. Um, so I've been always working with engineers and used to that and computer science is, is, is working in a similar way. I think the unique thing we have here is that we really have strong groups in sensors and photonics in the university and in electrical engineering who are already doing some machine learning themselves anyway. Okay. But what they, what they really create is new ways of measuring things, new kinds of data, Because everybody in the world has radiology data, but if you can find a cheap and affordable sensor to to detect disease and that can only be detected with AI. You need the clinician to find the disease that needs to be detected. The sensor needs to be developed at the university, but the complex, messy data needs to be analyzed by a computer to really make sense and say, this patient has a pneumonia or this patient has heart failure, which is you know, one of the projects we're working on uh, and, and which has become quite relevant, uh, but was already happening before this uh, pandemic.
0: Mm. Well, Johan, thanks very much. I think you've persuaded me that uh, computers are here for good and machine learning will will help us uh, in our lives. So thanks very much for joining us on The Discovery Pod.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for
0: listening to The Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next time when we discuss pregnancy and parental health.